The collective sound of when you hear open to the book of Revelation is, ah, right? Like, what are we doing? Well, open to the book of Revelation. We are uh, starting a new series, yeah, um, that we're calling Postcards from Jesus. Uh, What we're going to be looking at is the beginning of the book of Revelations in chapters 2 and 3. There are seven different churches that are addressed directly from Jesus. And so as we begin, I want you to, for those of you that are married or if you're not married, think back to the most recent wedding that you went to. If you are married, I want you to go think about your wedding. For us, we did uh, a super traditional wedding. We got married um, in 2006, so on 7706. I know those others that were 777, we just couldn't wait a year. I was 21, that's enough to say. So, we, uh, we were excited, I mean, but we were like super traditionalists. Like, we had a lot of friends, oh, let's go get married on a beach, let's go get married here. And we're like, uh-uh, we're getting married in this old traditional church facility. We're, and like, oh, do you want to do your own vows? We're like, nope, we are, we're doing the traditional vows. So, I don't know if you wrote your own vows, but think about the traditional vows. Does anybody remember them off the top of their head? Right? Like, you vowed them, so hopefully you have at least the heart of it. But I want you to imagine if the vows, which I, uh, in sickness and in health and love and cherish, I want you to imagine if you got up and you're on your wedding day and the only thing that you vowed was that I will be loyal to you. The only thing you say. How would that come across? A little tone deaf, maybe? A little like awkward? Like that's that's the bar that you're living up to? That's like when when marriage is supposed to be this beautiful picture of the God who sent his son Jesus to redeem his bride and to sacrificially love her and lay down his life for her, that they were, the two will become one. And all it is is, oh, I'll be loyal to you. Today, we're actually looking at a church, while that may not have been their original intention, that's where they ended up. They didn't start with their relationship as a church to their savior that way. But it ended up going that direction. Now, we often think of Revelation as this future-oriented book, right? It's like, okay, this is going to be about the end of the end. So it's all coming back in the future. But we have to remember that Revelation is actually written to, and John says this in John chapter one, uh, in Revelation chapter one, that it was written to the seven churches. So what we see even as we read these individual churches, today we're talking about the church in Ephesus. Even as we listen to these seven individual churches, we're actually getting something that Jesus has intended to be written, not just to them, but to all the other churches. Let me show you a quick map. These are the seven churches where they are in, um, on a map. So you see Greece over there on the lower left. And um, where... John was, when he wrote this, was right there. It's actually Patmos, but it's says Samos right there. And then he wrote to Ephesus, and this whole, um, these seven letters actually follow clockwise of, of those churches. So John writing to one church, knowing that all of this was going to be not only read to this individual church, it was going to be read to all of these churches. 
So what Paul, excuse me, what John is saying to each individual church is very, very important to that specific church. And yet, he also knows that what he's saying to that church is a temptation for all the churches to fall into. So for us, in the year of our Lord, 2021, on October 10th, what in the world does John's writing to a church in Ephesus have to say to us? Everything. Not only is it spirit-inspired, but it's he, he's wanting, Jesus himself is wanting the church to be aware of these temptations and not to fall into them. The author of this is, as we've been mentioning, John. We're actually spending the year in John. Um, we started in John chapter 15. Today, the next seven weeks, we'll be doing this in the Revelation. And then during Advent, we're starting the Gospel of John that will take us all through the spring. So we're going to be leaning into and learning a lot from the Apostle. And John had a very, very amazing relationship with the church in Ephesus. Um, John was the one that in John chapter 19, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was, uh, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you are now going to be responsible for my mom. So there's a little bit of a passing on. So John uh, paid very, very close attention and cared for the Virgin Mary, who's no longer virgin at this point, the Virgin Mary for the rest of his life. They ended up in Ephesus. So let me tell the story of you. The church in Ephesus was planted by the Apostle Paul. A few years later, he left to go elsewhere, and then John came in. Later, a guy named Timothy, who also has two books in the Bible written to him, joined them at Ephesus. So you have this church that's planted by Paul that has a resident named a guy named John who was so close to Jesus He actually says that it was the apostle that Jesus loved, that he was the one that reclined closest to him at the Last Supper. John is known as the apostle of love. So you have a church that's planted by Paul, being built up by a guy who's all about love, who has the mother of Jesus present with them, then is sent a guy named Timothy, who's an apostolic worker, to build up this church. I mean, this church is loaded with leadership. They are like bursting at the seams with some of the most high quality leaders, ones that would emphasize love over and over and over again. I mean, imagine hearing stories from Mary about Jesus growing up, because they did. Imagine hearing the stories from John as he was figuring out how to write his gospel account. They were formed through all of those stories. Imagine Timothy coming in and sharing all these wonderful things that he got to experience with Paul through all of these churches and around. And so for and this would take place for at least 20 years. And so I want you to just keep this in mind as we go through this. John, who is the apostle of love, was at Ephesus for a long time. And yet, what does Jesus tell this church? So let's dive into this. Um, each of these letters are, um, have seven different elements to them. I'm just going to show them to you really quick. They're all broken down the same way. There's an address that typically begins with to the angel of the church in. 
there's an attribute of God. If you want to understand what God is like, you go to the first three chapters of Revelation. In Revelation 1 alone, there's 24 different unique attributes of what Jesus is like. The third is the approval. This is when uh, Jesus looks at this church and says, I know your works, and he tells them certain things that they're doing well. There's an accusation where he goes and says, yet I have this against you. He then goes on to the advice. He either begins with an encouragement to repent, or he's going to say he's going to come to them quickly. It's like, dad's coming home, watch out. Um, There's an assurance. He assures them that, hey, I'm the one who overcomes, and I will do this on your behalf before he finishes with an appeal. And so we see this laid out in this passage. And so today, we're gonna go through it a little bit more like that in this. So let's look at uh, Revelation chapter two, verse one. It says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, so this is the address. Uh, I want you to, as you are thinking this, because this is written to everybody. So some people think that the angel is a, a spiritual being that's overseeing, like a guardian angel of the church. Some people think the angel are the leaders of the church. Some people think it's the general ethos of the church, which is where we're going to lean today. And so as he's writing these things, I want us to be thinking about what would it be like if Jesus were to say this both to me individually and what is he saying to us? What is he saying to Soma Federal Way through this letter? And then Jesus goes on to say this in the second part. The words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, This type of literature is full of metaphorical language. Thankfully, we find out what this is. In in Revelation 1.20, he says that the, uh, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In essence, what Jesus is saying in this, he's saying God is powerful for them. The right hand was the outstretched arm. This was a sign of strength for these people. So for him to say that he's holding the church in his right hand is saying, I have power on your behalf. I am fighting for you, but I'm also present with them. If the lampstands are the churches, for him to walk among the lampstands is to say, guys, I'm present with you. I'm powerful on your behalf but I'm also presently here with you. Nothing goes out of my sight. Nothing goes out of my strength. I am for you and I am with you. And then he goes on to approve of their language, of what they're doing. So you see this in verse two and three. And then also verse six. Let me read it again. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And then jump ahead to verse six. Yes, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There is a lot that God is approved. Jesus is particularly approving of this church. They are loyal to the works of God. They are working hard. 
The word toil is not just the spinning of the wheels in mindless behaviors. This word elsewhere is used of good kingdom type work. They're doing the work of God. They're being loyal to what God has asked them to do. They, if something is asked of them, they are faithful to it. The apostles coming, their their doctrine is sound. They, They can articulate it well. They can refute bad doctrine. People are coming into them trying to stir them up controversies, and they're not having any of it. The Nicolaitans are people that believe, well, most people come to believe that the Nicolaitans are those who um, said that you've accepted Jesus, you have the grace of God, you know what, just go on sin, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. They're under the grace of God, so whatever they do doesn't matter. And what does God say, Jesus say here? He hates that. That's, he's not of that. So you have this super, super loyal church. They've persevered. They've endured. They've labeled, labored and not grown weary. They were able to get stuff done. They worked hard. They were effective. They were efficient. They were loyal. And if we were to stop here, most of us would be like, yeah, that's good, isn't it? Like, I want to be that type of church. I, right? I want right doctrine. I want, to, I want to work for the Lord. I want to be loyal to him. I, I want, that's my goal, isn't it? That's the church. But what does Jesus say? He accuses them in verse four. But I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Uh, this translation says you've forsaken it. So how in the world did a church that was loaded with that type of leaders, that the, the apostle John, the apostle of love, was with them for 20 years before he was exiled, and it's likely that he came back. How in the world does a church with that type of leadership end up getting accused by Jesus that you've lost your love. It's mind-boggling. I, I spent hours thinking about that. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. But I think there's two different things that I've, I've gleaned from this. The first one is that at the end of the day, while everything rises and falls on leadership, it's not all about leadership. Because each person has to take individual responsibility for their own. A leader's job and our job is to guide, is to shepherd, is to to bring in and make sure we're moving in a right direction. But at the end of the day, we're not the ones that can change hearts. We can provide tools. We can provide resources. We can do everything we can to put it in front of us. But at the end of the day, each person has to take responsibility for their own hearts as they are led by those who want them to be loved by Jesus. But then there's secondly, I think this is one even more tricky. I think this is written because of how easy it is to do this. If it can happen there, it can really happen anywhere. If a church can be led that way, and yet they lose their first love. How much of a temptation is it for us as well? 
and we're loyal, doing good work, fighting the good fight, Paul says elsewhere. We can end up going through the motions and not going, just going through like bad motions, but like good motions, right? They were, they were doing good things, but they, but they had lost the love that they had at first. They were loyal, but they were loveless. What's the, what's the great commandment? We know the great commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. But what comes before that? The great commandment. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. They forgot the first one. It's really easy to go to step two, three, four. You ever open up an Ikea thing and you're like, oh, I don't need the first step. The first step is easy. I'm just going to go to steps two, three, four. And sometimes that's what we do. How can I be loyal? How can I be faithful? How can I walk this out? How can I live on mission? How can I share my faith? How can I make sense? All very good things. All important things. Notice he doesn't tell them to stop doing those things. But he says to go back to of the first importance. Don't lose, don't become loveless. You're loyal. Well done. And so what does he tell them to do? Four, four things. First, he tells them to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you um, were first born from above. Remember that when you couldn't wait to read your Bibles, when you couldn't wait to pray, when you couldn't wait to share your faith. Do you remember when God saved you and what that was like? When you had that first life, it may have not been when you were first saved by God, but when was a time that you experienced great awe because of your faith? That you knew God's love was so, his presence was so acutely, oh, you were aware of it. Remember that, Jesus is saying. Go back to that. If you want to move forward, you have to go back in your love. So what was that like for you? Remember that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, number, secondly, he tells them to repent. In each of these letters, there's an invitation to repentance. And it's amazing to me because oftentimes repentance is a dirty word for us. We talked about, Kate talked about that a couple weeks ago. But in essence, let me ask it this way. When was the last time that you disagreed with God? If you worship a God that always agrees with you, you're probably worshiping a God who's made in the image of yourself rather than you being made in the image of him. So if he always says yes to you without saying no, don't go there. If he doesn't correct you lovingly, I'm not saying harshly, but if he doesn't say, hey, God, like, child, I love you, don't go there then it's probably because we are not actually worshiping the God of the Bible, the creator of everything. So what does he tell them to do? Repent. Not this dirty, evil, shame type way, but like, child, I love you. Don't go that way anymore. Let me call you back to your first love. Let me reveal that again to you. So he calls them to remember. He calls them to repent. And then lastly, what does he say to do? Return. 
Return to the deeds that you did at first. Go back to the basic elementary stuff of your faith. Go back to reading the word. Go back to prayer. Go back to simplicity. Um, Excuse me. We had... um, Darian's sister just had a, a baby and we had her spend the night last night because she was really not doing well and now she's doing great. Praise God. But just, I, I got a whole little guy um, a little bit today and I was, Darian was like ooing and eyeing and she was loving watching me hold a baby. I was like, uh, 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 like hold their horses there. But I, as I was holding the baby, it was a reminder of a time of simplicity. It was like, oh, like yeah. I used to think it was really complicated back then. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, boys. You know what I mean? It, it, it gets trickier. And what, in essence, it's, that's what he's calling us to. Remember, repent, but go back. Return to the simple, basic, elementary stuff of our faith again. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it distracting. Go just do the booklets for us, brothers and sisters. Open it up. Read the chapters. You know what I do? I like to listen to it while I read it. It helps comprehension. I have my U version. It's playing as I read it. Go back to that stuff. It's interesting he says, return to the deeds you did at first. Go back to those things. Or, what does he say? He says, or you will be removed. The lampstand will be removed from you. In essence, that's saying the life of the church. Although you may be doing these good works, the light is no longer there. You could be loyal, but if you're loveless, the opportunity is that the, the very thing that gives us life will be removed from us. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like to be a loyal, loveless, and dead church. But that's what Jesus is saying here. And I also don't want to think about it because I don't want to experience it. I don't want us to be that church. I don't want us to, oh, we're doing all this good stuff. We're doing the works. Yes, great job. Pat ourselves on the back. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And brothers and sisters, I mean, do I want to see baptisms after baptisms, new missional communities, new churches? Of course I do. But the word for us from this is if we put the cart before the horse, we are in danger. Go back. What was it like for you? Remember that, Ephesus. But also, if this is what he's saying to you, what does that look like for you? And so what I want you to do is around the table, uh, there's going to be a few dialogue questions around those three R's. Remember, repent, and return. As we have been doing in the past, you don't have to go through all of these. But I, I'm going to encourage you to pick at least one to share at the table. Um, so re- remember, when was the time that you experienced God's love most profoundly? What do you need to do to remember that in your heart? Secondly, repent. What does it mean for you? What does that look like for you to repent of abandoning, forsaking, leaving the love of Jesus? And third, return. What practices do you need to return to in order to remember your first love? Ephesus was important. Ephesus was first. They were the most prominent. 
They were the most respected, respected. They were the, the gateway into the rest of the churches. It's, it's pretty wise why Jesus starts with them. And because I believe, because this is so related to the first commandment, this is of utmost importance. So we can do the booklet, but if we have not love, do the booklet. But remember, repent, and let's return together.